We just give God glory for that worship team. My goodness. Wow. We're in Mark 12, guys. Let's flip to Mark 12, verses 28 through 44. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, Perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. It's this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Then Jesus answered and said, While he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then the son? And the common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes. Who desire to go around in long robes. Love greetings in the marketplaces. The best seats in the synagogues. And the best places at the feasts. Who devour widows houses. And for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury. And saw. How the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood, Bow your heads and hearts with me in prayer this morning, guys. Heavenly Father, Lord God, this is an impossible thing, impossible thing, to love one's neighbor as ourselves. No, not possible. To love our God with all our hearts, minds, and strength. No, not possible in and of ourselves. But only, only, 
to the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Is this then made possible for us? For us to put away the selfish things, the bumflufferies of life, the things that bind us, the things that control us, the things that we give attention and heed to. That through the empowering of your Holy Spirit, we are then able to put the selfishness down and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. To love God with all our hearts, minds, and strength. Oh, Father, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 3, you say that. A bruised reed you will not break. That a smoking flax, that is, an oil lamp, you will not quench. And Father, we pray that through the empowering of your Holy Spirit, the bruised reeds will be bound up and built up and set straight. That those who are in the smoking flax, they would be fanned a flame, a burning flame that burns for you. Well, Father, I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, again, just want to invite you to be in Mark chapter 12 as we take a look at uh, what God has for us this morning. As we come to this particular text, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, this is the last time Jesus is going to be questioned at the temple the next questionings that will take place or questionings that will occur uh, during the trial but uh, for now this is it all the tests to try to trip him up and cause him to to stumble or to trap him they end on this question it's kind of funny that this would be the last one that the people would ask and and uh, if we look at Matthew in Matthew uh, chapter 22 it kind of gives us the background, right? We have the synoptic gospel so that we can have an entire picture. And Mark is not necessarily focused on the same facts that uh, Matthew is. So Matthew tells us this about this same section of scripture. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying... So it's, this is a group of the Pharisees. Remember last time the question was, well, this woman, she's been married to seven different guys. Who's her husband going to be in heaven? And so Jesus put that question away, put it down, uh, was able to uh, just lay out the truth that, that heaven's not about our earthly relationships. Heaven is about a heavenly relationship. It's about being in the presence of Almighty God. No longer the, the picture or the shadow will do. Now when we stand before Almighty God, that's the relationship prayerfully. If we're believers, we've been moving toward. I want Him. That relationship, the relationship with God. And so Jesus lays this out. So now a Pharisee comes. He comes and, and he's listened and he's heard what was going on. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says, Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? What's the greatest? That word first, protocos. What's the preeminent, the most important? What's the most important question that 
or the most important commandment that, that there is in the Bible. Here, Jesus sums it up for us. Jesus answered and said, the first of all the commandments is the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus lays out the, the Shema to the people. And he lays out this commandment. What is this thing? Sometimes people get all hung up. The one thing that God is looking for from us is love. That we love him. The Bible tells in John 3.16, what happened? What did, how did God treat the world? God did what? So love the world. How do we know that God loved the world? That when we were at enmity, or enemies of God, what? Christ died for us. Before we ever loved Him, what's the Bible say? He loved us first, right? And why did He do that? Because the Bible tells in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. Part of the characteristic of God... It's not the only characteristic of God. So a lot of people trip up on the concept. It's not the only characteristic of God. God's only characteristic is not love. God's, God is love. God is also justice. God is mercy. God is compassion. God is all-powerful and sovereign and all-knowing. There's a lot of characteristics the Word of God lays out for us to describe God. But, but one of those characteristics is love. And part of his being is to express love for all eternity. just want you to kind of picture this in your mindset. For all eternity, the triune God has expressed love one to another. It's not just something that came about when the earth was created. It's a, it was a part of, of the relationship between the three and one. In fact... I know a lot of people uh, trip, stumble, get confused when we talk about the Trinity. Perfect class for you. Thursday nights at 7, we're doing apologetics and we're working our way through the defense of the faith. And the concept of the Trinity is a very important concept. It takes the Word of God without shunning Scripture, without putting something away that we don't want to consider without hiding or covering over something, it receives all Scripture and uses all Scripture to describe the one God. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, He's the one. Echad. We talked about that last time, remember? That word that's used, not Yahid from the Hebrew, but Echad. Echad, the same word first used in the Scriptures of husband and wife. That husband and wife become one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Taking all of Scripture together, we see the relationship between what we describe in our language as a trinity. That's our word. Trying to describe the characteristic of God. What's the greatest commandment, Lord? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Be part of this eternal relationship that we have had from all eternity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we existed together unified by this characteristic of love. And God's desire is that we would enter into that experience. So one day, God said, 
let there be light. And the journey began. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. He is one God. He is the one. He is it. He is in the position of all authority. The first thing they're laying out for us in that first commandment is where is God? He's God. Is there any other God? Is there any other God? Uh, um, I heard uh, George share out of Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43.10 says this. You are my witnesses, said the Lord. Yahweh. Yahweh. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am. Before me there was no God, nor shall there be any after me. No other God. One. God is Echad. One. So this position is the position over all. Over all. Covering all. And then we have the priority. What's the priority from us? The priority is to love God. Isn't that what he goes on to say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And before we get into those concepts, well, let's talk a little bit about how we love God. I think George alluded to it in his prayer. The idea that, that uh, if we're honest, that is difficult. In our world, there's a lot of things that pull at our desires. Relationships, right? Husband, wife, our children, grandchildren. There's a lot of things that, that pull at our desires. But the Lord says that, that He's to have that, that place of priority. That, that He would receive love with our entire being. Everything that we are, our love would be expressed to Him. This is the, 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 the relationship... That God's looking for. And ultimately we'll see. It's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. All the law. Ten commandments broke up. Five and five. Five dealing with our relationship with God. Five dealing with our relationship with our neighbor. What's Jesus going to say here? Love the Lord your God and love who? Your neighbor. What happens if I do those things? I'll fulfill the law. I'll fulfill the law and the prophets. Because love does no harm to his neighbor. So we want to have, be able to express that love. And here's the key to me. The key to, to really being able to express the love that God wants us to be able to express, I believe is, is taught for us by Jesus in the house of Simon uh, in Luke chapter 7. So if you want to flip over to Luke 7, you're welcome to do it. We're going to take a look at uh, Luke 7. We're not going to look at the whole story, but we're going to pick it up at verse 40 to 47. I'll just remind you of the story. Jesus has gone to Simon the Pharisee's house. He's going to eat with them. They're going to be sat around the table. They're going to be kind of laying out, lounging around the table. And as they're eating and as this is going on, a woman is going to come through the door. She's going to wind herself over to Jesus' feet. And she's just sitting behind his feet. And she begins to weep, and as she weeps, she, she notices some of her tears have landed on his feet, and his feet are dirty. You know, tear hits a foot, you notice it, so she begins to, to wipe the tears off of his feet and wash his feet with her tears. And then she has a, um, some anointing oil, so she anoints with oil his feet. And then as she's anointing his feet with oil, she begins to kiss them. And Simon the Pharisees and some of the ones in the room, they begin to think, you know, if he's really a holy guy, he'd know what kind of person that is. And he would not let her touch him. Sometimes 
That's what's inside of us. I know what kind of person that is. I know what kind of person that is. But what is it that Jesus says in, in verse 40? Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Well, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And so he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then just so Simon would realize that Jesus is in his head. Jesus turns and looks at the woman, but continues to speak to Simon. He looks at this woman who is weeping at his feet. And he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The problem with loving God with your whole being stems from the ability to recognize who we are before God. I'm not what we say we are. You know, sometimes we get caught up in, the, in this, fra- uh, uh, well, it's a fragrance of pride. It's a, it's a sentence where we'll say, uh, oh, yeah, I'm nothing. I really, I'm no good. I can't do this or, or I can't do that. Do yourself a favor, not fooling anybody. If you're saying that, you're full of pride. And what you're really saying is, man, I am all that. Thanks. It's way easier just to say thank you when somebody gives you a compliment than to try to put yourself down. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, I don't want you to love yourself. We're going to see that in a moment. What he wants us to do is is love him. And I think that love for him hinges on the realization that we are not any different than the woman crying at his feet. And that's a problem for us sometimes because we get so full of pride. And we look around and we see somebody steal something. Oh, I'm not like them. Or we see somebody sneaking out of somebody else's house in the middle of the night. Oh, I can't believe what they're doing. I'm not like that. Or we see somebody involved in some kind of an activity, be it a bad or not and we look at him and we and we have this judgment where where we immediately elevate ourselves above them as though somehow we're better but none of us can touch the robe of Christ we can't reach his holiness all of us are broken all of us have the same struggle in our hearts and lives because the reality is as we as we are are making the the effort to to try to be everything that God wants us to be we start to to fill up with pride we start to think man I, there we go I'm, I have somehow elevated myself 
above. I, I hear the baby crying. Every mom with a baby just went out to church. <laughs> so we look at it and we, we, we start to think. Okay, look. I don't know what, whoever the worst person you can imagine, the worst moral person you can imagine, but I just want you to realize that inside you is the same disease that's inside them. Same sin. And you are capable of the same stuff. Given the right set of circumstances, there but by the grace of God go I. If we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that was, was, is within us, and we have to recognize our station with God is what He's done for us, not the other way around. We don't do it. We don't put ourselves, we don't make ourselves holy. We don't, by works, accomplish anything. It's the touch of God. God had to condescend to earth in order for you and I to even know He exists. God had to condescend to you and I through Scripture so we could even have an understanding of who He is and His character and what He's like. It's not that we were sitting around one day and we said, you know, if there's a God, I think He'd be like this. And we start writing stuff down and oof, there we go, we found Him. That's not how it happens. God reaches down to us. And if we can recognize that, I think if we can realize that it's by His grace, it's by His glory, it's by His strength, and His power, and His love, and all that He has, if we recognize it's about Him, then we can be like that woman and love Christ. If we don't do that, we'll be like Simon. And we'll like Him, okay. But we're missing the first commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The heart and soul speaks of intimacy. It's the seat of our emotions. That that place where our emotions are founded, that's where, where this love is springing from. So it's, it's coming from there. But not only from the seat of emotion, which, which is probably one of the easier places for love to flow from, but it's also to come from our intelligence. Right? Love Him with all your Mind. God doesn't want you to put your mind in neutral. He wants to engage your mind. He wants your mind to grow. He wants you to understand. He wants you to learn the things that God's Word has for you. So He wants you to love Him with the seed of your intelligence. With your reason. But the third one is the hardest one of all. He wants you to love Him with all your strength. That's intensity. That's intense love. That's the kind of love that would go into a house you're not invited to. It would crawl on the ground over to the feet of the one you love. They would weep and anoint his feet. Knowing the whole time nobody else in this room wants me here. But he does. That's intense love. Intense passion. This intense desire to show God that we love Him. And what was it hinged to by Jesus? What did He hinge it to? The understanding that she was forgiven much. That she was forgiven much. Why didn't Simon love Him that way? Because he thought he was a pretty good person. He didn't recognize that God had to travel the same distance to touch him. As he had to travel to touch her. This is the key to learning to love God.
and express that love. But then Jesus goes on and tells us the, the second. He, he goes beyond just telling the first commandments. He says, the second is like it, right? It's this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. I wonder, sometimes people think that's a new commandment. They think that's new. You know, in the Old Testament, God just wanted to wipe everybody out. But in the New Testament now, God got saved and He wants people uh, to love. In the, in the New Testament now. The problem is that quotation that Jesus gives is out of Leviticus. How many of you guys read Leviticus? Woohoo! There's four of us in here. So, <clears throat> Leviticus, man, that's the heart of the law. And in the heart of the law, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Jesus is just quoting the law. He's just saying, look, this is it. These are the two things everything hinges on. Love God. So to do that, I have to know that I'm forgiven. And if I realize how much I've been forgiven for, the response will be love for God. And then i got to love people. And he tells us a particular way to love people. How does he say? Love them like you love who? Oh, it's funny how he does that. I know, I know, we think we don't love ourselves, but last I checked, we're still feeding ourselves. We're still dressing ourselves. We're still getting up and going about and doing the things that we need to do. So, so there is a, an expression of love that is taking place within us. Here's the key. When God's calling us to, to love God and love people, He uses a Greek word, called, which is the word agapeo. The agape love. Agape love is, can be described a lot of different ways. It's, it, I think the proper uh, uh, dictionary definition is a love that gives all without concern about what it will receive in return. Another, another definition is a self-sacrificing love. See, the Lord says, it's okay to love yourself, but if all you do is love yourself to the exclusion of others, then you're not loving your neighbor. Now here's where things get dicey. Who's your neighbor? Joe. Uh, Joe, yeah. Joe's a neighbor. Man, you remember the story when Jesus was asked about a neighbor? Do you remember? He tells a story, and in that story he uses a particular person. Who was the particular person that Jesus used to illustrate the neighbor, being a neighbor? Samaritan. Oh, what was a Samaritan to the Jews? Were they buddies or enemies? Oh, they're enemies. Can you think of any enemies of us today that should be treated as our neighbor? Be careful. You're not going to like the answer. Oh, no. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He said, them people that are mean and after you, want to cut you up into little pieces, get them first. Is that what he said? Oh, man, don't you wish sometimes that's what he said? Nope, that's not what he said. Yeah, he, he told us to love them. Love your enemy. 
Do good to those who despitefully use you. Who hate you so much they want to use you up. Do good to them. Man, that's brutal. That's brutal. So when Jesus tells us, look, I want you to love God and I want you to love your neighbor, what he's telling you is I want you to stop loving yourself so much and start spreading some of that love to others. Because in the United States of America, you are blessed. Most of you are going to eat as many times a day as you want to. But it wasn't that long ago I was in Malawi, Africa, where they're going to eat once. And they're going to get excited about eating sima. You ever had sima? Uh, You have, but you don't know it. Sima is the most tasteless, unsatisfying, pasty thing on earth. But that's what they're going to eat, a ball size of a baseball love your neighbor look that don't mean stop eating that means there are people around us we can love can we aren't there people we can love maybe we can stop making people feel unwelcome maybe we can stop spreading hate and and you know look uh i don't like our president any more than the next guy But that doesn't stop me from if I see a hungry person and I don't care what's on their head. Or I see someone broke down on the side of the road and I don't care what's on their head. And trust me, I did time in the Marine Corps. So you can't have a bigger issue with them than I do. I come up to them and I know what God wants me to do. What's God want me to do? He wants me to come up to them and love them like I would love myself. If you're broke down on the side of the road, you want somebody to help you? If you're hungry and have no food, would you want somebody to help you? If you had no place to lay your head, would you want somebody to help you? If your children were getting picked on in school, would you want somebody to help you? Love them like you would love yourself. Some challenging stuff Jesus is asking them to do. Last guy, last question they ask, man, they throw this out and Jesus is like, bam, here's what I want. This is what I'm looking for from you guys. This is how I want you to to be able to pour yourself out. So the scribe said to him, well said. Man, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but Him. You're right. There's one God, and this is how He wants us. Love God. Love people. All people. Love God. Love people. Jesus said, to his disciples, they will know you are my disciples by the way you do what? Love who? Each other. So look, before you go crazy and try to love them people that you can't stand, why don't you just love the ones in this room? And then let's just spread out from there. How's that sound? We just start loving on each other in this room, looking for opportunities to love and care about one another in this room, uh, you know, not being in a race to see who can be the first one to get the Arctic Circle and get a burger. They've never run out yet. They'll still be there. I, in fact, I'm the last one at every restaurant, and I, they've always had food when I got there. It's so shocking. And nowadays, you'd be so surprised. On my TV thing, we just got TV. I haven't had TV forever. We got TV. You know you can record a game? I'm not even going to miss any football at all today. 
So you got time. So chill out. Find somebody to care about. In here. Love each other. And as you begin to do that, you know what happens? Wow, all of a sudden, you see somebody out there and it's natural because you've been doing it in here. And it just naturally begins to spread. And pretty soon, wow, what do you know? Your community's changing. People are changing. Why are they changing? Because, not because of something you worked up to, but because you have the love of Christ in you, don't you? Romans chapter 5 says, The love of Christ has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So the love of God is in your life. And God is saying, I want you to take that love, and want you to point it at me, and shoot that laser up at God. Boom, there's God's love He gave me coming right back at you. Love you, God. And then what's the other part? At people. Take the love God gave you, Spread it around. That's what God is looking for. That's what he's calling us to. Well then look. This man goes on to say in verse 33. And to love him with all the heart. With all the understanding. With all the soul. With all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. Is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this is the Pharisee talking. He's getting all excited about what Jesus just said. Man you're right. He says, you're right, because if I do that, I don't have to concentrate on the law. What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? Because if I love my neighbor, I won't sleep with his wife. If I love my neighbor, I won't rob him. I won't steal. I won't do all the things that are written in law. I don't have to think about what the law is. I just have to treat him with love. I just have to love God. If I love God, I'm not going to have any idols before him. Right? I love God. So if I can just grapple, that's what this guy's saying, the scribe and Pharisee's like, man, you get it, this is better than all the burnt offerings. And you know what? I don't want you to think that that's something that just happened in the New Testament either. Because in Micah, chapter 6, listen to what the prophet Micah is saying. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? So how do I come to God? This is Micah. How do I come to God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Ten thousand rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require but... To do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly before your God. Do what's right. To be merciful. With humility. It's not a new concept. God was trying to drive it in. To the children of Israel in the Old Testament through the prophets. So, look at the exhortation of Christ. Okay, so that <clears throat> the scribe is like, man, you're right. That's great. That's perfect. You, you've answered rightly. And look at Jesus' response to him in verse 34. Now, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are, bad words, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one asked him another question. Now, I don't know what happened to him. I hope he got closer. There's a lot of people who are not far from the kingdom of God.
But not far from the kingdom of God is not in the kingdom of God. You get that, right? And the reason we know that, that he's not far is because Jesus, he's going he's gonna to give an illustration. One of the key hang-ups for this guy is who is Jesus? That's what he's going to do next. Who is Jesus? And he's going to give us an example of outward righteousness and real righteousness. So he's going to give us a clue to why this guy's only close. You're close. You're right there. You're right there. But one thing he lacks. Look what Jesus does. He begins talking about the son of David. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, here's his response. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So he has a question for them. How is it that the, the scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? Son of David throughout the Old Testament, from the promise that David received when God said, David, I'm going to build you a house. You guys remember? David wanted to build the temple. God said, no, you can't build the temple, but I'm going to build you a house. God makes a promise to David that the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the King of kings, Lord of lords, is going to come through his line. So Jesus asked a question. This is a scribe standing in front of him, a lawyer, a Pharisee. Why, why? How is it that the scribes say this? How is it that they say that the Christ is the son of David? Look at verse 36. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit. Okay, two things happened there. For, I don't know, there are probably still people arguing about who wrote Psalm 110. If they read their Bibles, they wouldn't have this argument. What did... Jesus just say, who wrote Psalm 110? David said, right? He says, David said. So whose psalm is it? If he's going to quote from Psalm 110, you're going to see it in a minute. It's David's psalm. And are the psalms inspired of God? What did he say? David wrote it by what? By the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit led David as he penned the psalm. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the entire Bible. It is quoted more than any other psalm in the New Testament. And so, he says, listen, the scribes say that Christ is the son of David, but listen to what David said by the Holy Spirit. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. Tell me, how is he then his son? The common people heard him gladly. So Jesus blows away the mind of the scribe by talking about Messiah. What's the issue? I don't want you to miss the issue. Psalm 110 was a psalm quoted for every single king that was crowned in the nation of Israel. Every single king. And what would they sing? They would say, the Lord, Yahweh, is saying to my Lord, the king, Adonai. The Lord is saying to my Lord Adonai, come and I will make your enemies your footstool. So it's a, a psalm saying that God's going to watch over the king and take care of the king. And so they said, they said Psalm 110 didn't exist until very late. But Jesus said, no, David wrote it. David wrote it. So we're in the beginning of the, the kingdom of Israel. So all these kings, when they would be crowned, would hear this psalm until 500 and 60-something B.C. Then there's no more king for Israel. From then to today. Hadn't been another king. 
So then Jesus asked them, in light of how you use this psalm, and the truth that he's getting to is that this psalm is talking about the son of David, and why does David call his son Lord? That never happened. You never called your son Lord. When did the next king take over? When the king before him died. You may reign together, but the king, the old king was the king. Till the old king went away. My Lord Yahweh, or the Lord Yahweh, says to my Adonai. Now when we come to the Greek, they don't make that differentiation anymore. In the Greek it says, Kyrios said to Kyrios. Kyrios in the Greek is the word utilized to point to Almighty God. The Almighty God said to Almighty God, Come sit at my right hand. What did it mean to be the Adonai? What did it mean to be the Adonai? It meant to sit at the right hand of God. Who's seated at the right hand of God? Who is waiting till his enemies are made his footstool? Jesus is waiting. What God said, he's going to establish his kingdom, right? His kingdom is going to come. He will rule and reign, so he's going to establish that kingdom. So we have Jesus saying, so, so who was it that David was talking about? Adonai is the one seated at the right hand of God. Now I just want you to pause here. Engage your mind. Remember, we're loving God with our intelligence too. Let's love God with it. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. And look what Daniel has to say. As Daniel has a prophecy, he has a, a vision of the Ancient of Days. Right? The Ancient of Days. Maybe you've heard of the, the vision of the Ancient of Days. So he sees Almighty God. He has a beard. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> so... <clears throat> He comes to the Ancient of Days. Now his beard is all white. I'm working on it. It's getting there. I'll be here long enough. Don't worry. It'll get that way. So, if I still have it then. Anyways, I'm losing my place. Okay, so, the Ancient of Days. Almighty God. Okay? He has this vision about the kingdoms of the world falling into place under the kingdom of God. And in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man... Son of Man is the title for Messiah. It's a title was also one of the favorite titles used by Ezekiel the prophet. In this case, Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He's coming up into heaven. Now, I kind of see Daniel chapter 7 as the prequel to the ascension. You guys remember the ascension? What happened? Jesus standing with his disciples and what happened? He ascended up into heaven. You wondered what happened next? Well, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Who was it given to? Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. So that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. What's going to happen? Will every knee bow before Jesus? Yeah, isn't that what the Bible says? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is curious, Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. All people, all nations, all languages will serve Him. His dominion is how long? Everlasting. That's eternal. That means it lasts forever. And it will never pass away. His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. 
So Jesus is pointing to Psalm 110, recognizing that Psalm 110 is talking about him. And that the Lord had said that to our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Adonai, God in the flesh, the second person of the triune God, who is in eternal submission to the Father, but yet is equal in every way, who is responsible for all of creation, everything that was created, that was made. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. Not only that, Isaiah said, God said, I'm the only one who created, nobody helped me. So in order for Colossians to be true, and Isaiah to be true, Jesus has to be God. God the Father has to be God. You call it what you want. Holy Spirit has to be God. Three, one God. Trinity's worked for the last couple thousand years. I don't know why we want to change it now. But the triune Godhead gathered together. So here he's saying, why does the Lord say to the Lord, come sit at the right hand? How can he be the son of David? How can he be less than David? He can't be. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here. Messiah is superior to David. He's greater than David. Jesus would, in other gospels, say a greater than David is here. A greater than Solomon is here. A greater than Jonah is here. He's laying out that the thing that Hebrews is going to talk about when we get to Hebrews soon. And as we work our way through the book of Hebrews, where we're going to see the superiority of Jesus Christ. Superior to all things. To everything. So, the answer, Messiah is not simply David's earthly son. He's God's son. What was the hang up for the scribe? Recognizing who Jesus was. John chapter 8, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am, ego I me, you will die in your sins. Occasionally I'll have somebody tell me, well, he just uses the phrase, I am. And I said, okay, let's, let's use your logic. Jesus, you're mean if Jesus is saying, if you, you need to believe that I exist, or you'll die in your sins. That doesn't make any sense. But if I look through Old Testament scripture, and I look for the ego I me, the I am's of God, hero Israel... The Lord your God, He's one God. I am He. I am He. Exodus chapter 3. Moses says to God, Who shall I say has sent me? When the people ask me for your name, what should I tell them? And God said, You tell them, I am has sent you. You tell them, I am. You know, the Jews didn't struggle with the meaning. Because as soon as they heard Jesus say it, they picked up stones to kill Him. And Jesus said, For what good deed do you kill me? Why are you going to stone me? And they said, not for any good deed, but you, being a man, make yourself to be God. You can do whatever gymnastics you want to, but when Jesus is hung on the cross, they put the sign up above his head, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Right? Yetsu ha-Nazareth, vemelech, yehudim. So how would they write that? Why? H W H that remind you of anything else? That is Yahweh. That is the proper name of God. That's why the priest said, Don't write that. Change it to he said he was. And Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. So who was being crucified? God, in the flesh, dying 
for the sins of His people. Why were they close and not there? Because they couldn't grasp the idea that Messiah was not just a man, but God come in the flesh. What does it say in Isaiah? Didn't it say in Isaiah that He would be called the everlasting Father? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. On his shoulders will be the kingdoms like we just read about in Daniel. And you shall call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, El Gibor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on, Messiah is God in the flesh. What separated them? They couldn't make that step. You're right here at the brink. But Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. So he's going to give us two examples. I just want you to see the examples he lays out for us. <coughs> How do we live then? How does it look? How does it look if we've made that step? If we've received Jesus Christ as Lord? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Kyrios. It's the exact same word that they said for Caesar, by the way. Why didn't the Christians do it? You remember, why wouldn't the Christians take a pinch of incense and just say Caesar is Lord if all Lord meant was he's my king? Why wouldn't they do it? Because that's not what it meant. What did it mean for them? What did they call it when you took a pinch of incense and you said Caesar is Lord? They called it worship. There was a proclamation that Caesar is the God over all other gods. And beneath Caesar, you can worship anybody you want. So all you got to do is take a pinch of incense and declare Caesar is Lord. What does Romans 10, 9 and 10 say? That you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you shall be saved. It's not difficult. It's not gymnastics. Just read what the word says. That's what it declares. So how do we live? Look at verse 38. So he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes. Watch out for this attitude. Who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace. The best seats in the synagogues and the best places at the feasts. They devour widows' houses for a pretense. They make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Oh. Just a little side note. In order for there to be greater condemnation, that means there's got to be levels of condemnation, don't there? Huh. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Oh. Anyways. He says, what are the characteristics of the scribes? What do they desire? Long robes, respectful greetings, chief seats, places of honor. Full of pride. Full of arrogance. It's all about, how are you treating me? Jesus is saying, beware that attitude. That's not the attitude that's in the kingdom. How are you treating me? Watch out for that attitude. It creeps up on us, and it's sneaky. It's sneaky. Every once in a while I sit down and I can, I'll, I'll say something and I'll go, ooh, that sounded like the Pharisees. Man, I don't think that's what Jesus wants roaming around in my heart. I don't think, I think my desire is supposed to be God, right? Whole, whole heart, given to God. What is it that they devour? Widows' houses, what does that mean? A widow, that means she has no husband, no children. She's lost anybody who can help her take care of her land. 
but she has all this property. And that land's just going to go to the family. But listen, here's this little old widow, and she doesn't have anybody to give anything to. So the scribes come to her, and they say, you know what, man, I, I just want you to know I'm more than happy to, to take you on as my mom. And you can, you can take care of me. And so they come and they pretend, they feign love to get what the widow has to leave. They devour widows' houses. You don't care about her. You just want what she's got. You don't care about their needs. You just want what they have. You're just doing so that you can get something in return. But God says, no, that's not the heart that's in the kingdom. Beware this attitude of the scribes who devour widows' houses. What's the third thing? For pretense, they make long prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying long. Sometimes I get to praying and, I don't know, I'm not staring at a clock. Nothing wrong with long prayers, but he said for pretense. They want people to hear the prayers. You know how they used to pray? They'd come up to a street corner and they'd throw out their arms on their big fancy robe. And somebody would blow a trumpet. And then he'd start praying. And everybody would look, wow, that dude is so holy. And Jesus is like, what a knucklehead. Remember he told, talked about two prayers. Remember the two prayers? He said two guys came to pray. One guy was a Pharisee and the other guy was a tax collector. Everybody hated tax collectors. Enemy or oh, a relatively good guy. The relatively good guy comes up and says, Oh Lord, thanks, I'm not like that guy. I'm not dirty and smelly and he's just gross and I'm not, I'm not a sinner like him. And thanks that I'm not a woman or a dog neither. Wow, cool. And, and then the other guy couldn't even speak. All he could do was beat his breast and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that one left justified. God heard that prayer. He didn't hear the other one. That kind of prayer is not in the kingdom. These are people that are close, and they look good, and they look great on the outside, but they're not real. So what's the condemnation? Man, they are going to have worse <coughs> condemnation than others, because they should know better. But it's not, look, look, listen, listen, please don't miss it. It's not something you can make happen. You can't just go, okay, I'm, I'm going to try harder. That's the opposite of what he's looking for. What is it that Jesus is looking for from this scribe standing before him? The willingness to bow the knee before the king of kings, to submit himself to him, say, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And then he gives him what he needs to do that. He gives what's necessary to love. He gives what's necessary to love people. That's how you get it. Not by trying to make it happen inside of you. Remember? We're broken. We need a touch of the king. So the last story, Jesus is going to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. You remember this one, right? Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury. So he's still up on the temple mount. Okay? All this stuff's still going on. The treasury is just across... Uh, from where the temple is, where he would be teaching in the, in the court of the Gentiles, probably. And as he's standing in that place, there's the treasury where people are giving their offerings. It says, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how. Man, if you write in your Bible, circle that 50 times. 
He saw how they gave, not what they gave. He saw how they gave. Not what. It's not about what. It's about how. He saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. They put a lot of money in there. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they gave out of their abundance, but she from her poverty put in all she had, her whole livelihood. Listen, you cannot fake all in. You cannot fake all in. What is it that God is looking for? Does He want one room in your heart? Does He want one little, you just cut out a little slice and say, Lord, this is a slice of my life, and you can have that slice, but the rest of this part of my life is mine. What does God want? So, who gave all? The scribes who steal widows' houses and who make fake prayers so people will think they're holy? Is it the scribes who like to look good on the outside so everybody thinks they're great? Or is the one who gave everything like the widow? Nobody cared about her but God. Nobody saw it but God. And when he looked and he saw, he said, She's all in. She's not like the other ones. She's all in. Now, let me make you calm. I don't want none of your money. And there's no more offerings. And it's not about money. He didn't look at what they gave. What did he look at? How? How? If there's a better picture, that widow could have walked in and stood in the plate. And said, I'm all in. So when this lawyer, don't miss it. When the lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, man... The greatest commandment is to be all in. To love God with how much of you? All. And to love your neighbor like yourself. To, to put yourself out there. If you got it all in, you can't save something back. If you get yourself all out there, and I'm not talking about leaving everything. I'm just talking about taking every all of your being your mind, your strength, your soul, your heart, and giving it to God wholly. All of it. Don't sweat the other stuff. Man, if we do that, then you don't hear from Jesus, you're so close to the kingdom. But you hear, well good, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into your master's happiness. Enter in. You're here. You're in the kingdom. God wants it all. Amen? God wants it all. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you right now, Lord Jesus. We want to... uh, 
God, just have your spirit be with us. Lord, we pray that you would move in our midst. God, that you would convict us. Because, Lord, maybe there's a bunch of people here who are close. But their hang-up is who Jesus is or what Jesus has said about himself. But, God, your word declares that that, that that's a, that can be a hang-up. That can keep you out. That, you need to set that aside and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Because every knee will do it one day. Every tongue will do it one day. And the fight will be over then. Maybe there are people here today who are close. They, they just don't understand this all-in thing. Does God want all my money? Does God want all my family? Does God want all my stuff? Well, the short answer is yes. But the long answer is, what He wants is you to lay all that stuff off and look at him and go to him with everything in you everything just don't leave nothing back love god with your money love god with your family love god with your stuff love god love your neighbor as yourself and just be on guard Am I like the Pharisee? I want people to see what I've done and what I've given and how I pray and how I look. Or am I like the widow? God, just give it all. God, you got all. God, I just am reminded of David as he as he stood before the this captain of the Lord's army with his sword outreached. All of Jerusalem perishing beneath the judgment of God. And he cried out for mercy. And he found mercy. He cried out for forgiveness. And he found forgiveness. And he wanted to build an altar on that place to say thank you to God. To praise God's holy name. And so the owner came to him and said, you can have it all. It's all yours. But David said, I won't give you something that costs me nothing. If I'm all in, I'm all in. There is a cost to discipleship. And it ain't about money. It's about my mind, my soul, my heart. And my strength. And God you. You want it all. All of it. And the only way. The only way we can do it. Is to fall on our knees before you. Ask for your forgiveness. Proclaim you as Lord. And receive the love of God. That is poured out in our heart. By the Holy Spirit. In a relationship with you. We are able without we fall short God be glorified in this place because our desire is to exalt you and extol you you said if I am lifted up I will draw all men to myself so by your spirit move in this place and may no one leave that doesn't have the assurance that they have done that God be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. Amen.